I will build a team and we'll do nights and weekends and see where we end up. And fast forward eight months, we had built the first Redfin website. It was ridiculous. It was so amazing. Like it was one of the fastest, if not the fastest consumer launch with no marketing budget, I think in the history of the internet today. Wow. And we went from zero traffic to 400,000 visitors on the very first day. Well, I'm excited to welcome you to the show, Dave Selinger. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Man, I know you and I just had a really impactful conversation that we're going to be touching on a little bit later in the show. It's always inspiring to me to get around people who have just massive success in business. And as badass as you think they are in the business world and the quote unquote success world, when you when you see behind the curtain of how they live their life just as purposeful and intentionally, uh, you know, in the other gardens that um, are equally as important as they do in their business, that that stuff always gets me really excited. So I know our listeners are going to really get some massive value from today's show. For those that don't know, who is Dave? What do you say to them about the massive track record of success, but this journey that you've found yourself on over the course of the last few decades? You know, I mean, it's it's a little cliche. If you look at I think it's my Twitter handle, right? It says uh, husband, dad, and uh, and also these other things in my career. Uh, I'm the the co-founder at Redfin, early Amazon employee, and the, currently the founder and CEO at a company called Deep Sentinel. Uh, and, and that order really matters uh, to me in that, I, you know, and I'm not inactive at all in the other stuff, right? I mean, I'm very active in the the companies that I'm engaged with, I wake up every morning. I'm, I'm one of the first people up and going uh, at work, and I am fully engaged throughout the day. I'll, I'll work at night. We've got employees in Taiwan and China, but to always remember that that that's not the order of my priorities, and that if in the middle of any you know in the middle of this interview, if my wife calls, I'm going to pause this interview, right? And, and, it, I love and I'm it. not going to do that. Oh damn it! My wife. I'm, I'm I gonna feel say, bad. Hey, no, it's like no. I got a, I got a priority here, <laughs> and that's to me a journey, right? Like that's, and I'm still on that journey. But the point that we're at right now for me uh, is is a is a you can use the word as we we're chatting before here is an intentional point that I'm at here. That's not by accident. It's not natural because that's not where I was five years ago by any stretch. Mm. Five years ago, it'd be like, damn it, my wife's calling. You know, go away, go away, go away, go away. And, uh, you know, we had these rules where it was like, if, if you really need me, call twice. And my wife's one of those people where you'd be incredibly surprised to learn that she never called once and she always called twice. <laughs> she's going to get the freak of hold of me. And so, you know, and, and, and if you're going to be married and be a dad, those things have to be like that. If my daughter moved in right now and said, Daddy, can we play? I'd, I'd also I'd pause and I'd say, well, do you want to be on the podcast for a little bit? Do you want to? Uh, yes. The answer is yes, I will. I'm going to have to finish this because I have a prior commitment, yep. but I will. And and, yep. I, and my answer before would have been no, I'll try to find time later. And it's and it's that very subtle difference of yes, and I'm going to finish this commitment first. I love that. And those types of little things, those are what I would talk about as, as my journey. And and yeah, I mean, we, yes, we're we're wealthy to, to a degree. We're not crazy hundred millionaire billionaires. Um, but you know, we're at a point in our life where money does not ever have to be our top priority. Yeah. We see that as a blessing and we, we recognize that and, uh, work with that. That's amazing. What, and I want to unpack for many listeners who are probably going, okay, co-founder of Redfin, early Amazon employee that worked, you know, underneath Jeff Bezos. Those are all very interesting topics. I think for a lot of people that can glean some wisdom and light on your experience there, but before we dig into that, what shifted for you from the no, 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 stop bothering me, stop bothering me, right? I'm building something, I'm working, I'm grinding and hustling to, hey, there's way more at stake here that is way more important to me long term. And the shift, the catalyst was what? Yeah, the the, the moment I can I can point to was literally the moment my first daughter was presented to me in in the operating room. My my wife had actually delivered her before, about 20 minutes before, into my hands. And she 
had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck and she got pulled back in. So it was a really, I, I was very vulnerable in that moment. Like it, it had, this delivery was not easy. It had taken everything out of me. Um, it was probably, you know, nine hours in active labor. And, uh, and that was kind of the, the moment where she had come out in my hands and then disappeared back into my wife's body. And then the doctor was like, bam, throws a, um, uh, a gown at me and says, I'll see you in the room next door. You have one minute. And I was like, wow, that went from painful and dramatic to like, this is life threatening. And, you know, the entire path changed. And, uh, and I went out, our, um, one, of, one of my wife's favorite uh, people in the world, her, her maid of honor was in the waiting room. And I just went out, I grabbed her. She's, she's a family friend of ours and gave her a big hug, bawled, pushed her away and went in the operating room. And so to have both of them be okay and, and, and be that vulnerable and then realize at the same time, which I think every parent has some degree of this realization, holy living crap, I'm now responsible for this thing. And my entire priority stack has been wrong up until this moment. Oh, man. Every sentence in my, in my mind starts with I, and every sentence from this point forward is going to start with she. Yeah. And you can stick with that, you know, and you can have that be uh, the, the, the tall pole in the tent for the rest of your life, or you can go through that moment, absorb it, and then reintegrate it. And I, in that moment, chose to make that seminal. I chose in that moment to make that change everything about uh, everything going forward. And that didn't happen immediately. That took a long time. I still, for the next three years, traveled over a quarter million miles a year and tried to find balance, but then didn't find it. And then about four years after that, I said, this isn't, this isn't working anymore. I need to have dinner with my parents, with my, not my parents. <laughs> I need to have dinner with my family five nights a week. I need to have uh, a silly family meeting. I need our family to come first. And, uh, you know, we can stop flying first class everywhere and change the, the career directions, change everything such that the quality of the time matters more than the accoutrement of the the journey. You know, we would again fly in first class all the time. It doesn't really freaking matter if you're not having quality. We would fly first class to Hawaii, and then I'd get in a car and I'd have to travel separately because I had phone calls from my family, or I would arrive an hour later because I had a meeting I had to go to, or you know, all these other things that. I was finding quality time, but I wasn't prioritizing and, and truly creating quality mm -hmm. time. And so that, that again, that, that wasn't a, an immediate thing. It really did take three or four years of trying to keep my work really, really high on that list. And, and, and then finally finding a framework that, that we found for the last six or seven years works really well for us. That's amazing. It is. I think any parent that truly cares about their children and, and their marriage you know, there is that catalyst moment. Same for me was, you know, I remember looking back in the rearview mirror after having our first daughter and going, oh my, oh my gosh, like they're actually letting us leave with this little human being here. And yeah. I have this responsibility, you know, to provide and take care of them and to lead and model what that looks like. And, you know, it's like a secret chamber of your heart gets unlocked that you just don't know is there. And don't get me wrong, I love my wife, but I love my children in a way that is just, unexplainable. And so when you really get that moment to take inventory of, like you said, all the commitments, all the priorities in life, what life you're looking to build and lead and, you know, make sure that that's actually congruent, your vision, your, you know, audio of what you say you want for yourself and your video of how it actually plays out in life. Um, that congruency makes a big difference. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. 
These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Just to be clear, like I, I still have 80, I've had a couple hundred hour weeks in the last uh, last couple of years. I still work really hard. And in fact, what we, we, we met with a bunch of other families that, that were at various stages of their life where, you know, how does work fit into that? And when you don't yeah. have to work anymore, how do you use the word model? And that's exactly the word that we use. How do you model the importance of that? I have a lot of friends I went to Stanford uh, for education and a lot of my peers there, their parents didn't have to work and they knew it and they had never learned the importance of work, whether that's financial, but it's also the importance of work in terms of your role versus your community, your role versus your employees or your coworkers, your role versus your, your customers. And it's being important to the world around you. And it, and work is, uh, is, is frequently diminished in our world, either reduced to just money or over enveloping and taking over your life, mm-hmm. but finding that, uh, that importance and modeling that to our kids. Again, I still work 80 to hundred hours a week. And even uh, when I do that, if my kids come and ask me the question, can you play? The answer always has to start with yes. And it's finding those little things that make sure that you're modeling to your kids Work is really important. Daddy works every yep. day and daddy works really hard and mommy yep. works hard. And I'm more important than that. Yeah. I, lo- I love That's that. a neat sentence. Right? It's, an, it's an amazing sentence that obviously I think every entrepreneur that has done something big and significant mm-hmm. and, and those that have failed their way, you know, uh, forward as well. You know, the sacrifices that go into that are off, obviously, you know, whether sometimes it's health, it's your marriage, it's your kids. You know, it's a learning curve. Nobody puts a, a chip in your brain or gives you the magic blueprint of how it all works. You have to figure it out. But that intentionality, the conversations, the modeling, the people you surround yourself with, and ultimately just the plan you decide to execute on of what do you want, you know, that experience for your kids, for your family, for whatever to be, um, I think is it comes down to a choice and disciplines and habits. And, you know, I think uh, it's it's a, it's amazing to hear those things, because now that conversation, I think, is a lot louder, a lot more common than maybe it was 10 years ago, let alone 20 or 30 years ago for, mm-hmm. you know, our parents, parents, you know, and things like that. So I love that you guys make that such a priority. And you're also saying, because we do the same thing. I still grind 80, 90 hours a week, but it's more of a fluid moment motion of kind of seven days a week, we talked about how do we create a lifestyle that we work hard every day, we play hard every day, we love hard every day, we serve and create value for others every single day. And it's been this amazing kind of architect of what we want our life to look like for our kids. And I think that's something that every entrepreneur, every business owner, you know, everyone can ultimately ask those questions and decide how do they work backwards and creating that reality for themselves. But obviously money is a big piece of all of this, right? And and having a platform and an opportunity and hard work and grit and hustle ties into it. So where did your start, man? How did, how did this entrepreneurial journey begin for you? I mean, I've always been a little bit, um, one of those people that's just un, unsatisfied with, things around me, right? And always looking for ways to make it better. I uh, I started my my uh entrepreneurial hustle when I was about 12 years old. Uh I did two things. One, I was a computer kid, so I I would help the neighborhood families set up their computers and use them and make them useful for most people 
these days that's kind of hard to understand but in the 80s right like computers were really kind of foreign and and complex and 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 really 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 expensive <laughs> and so you get this thing and then you have very little you could actually do with it it was the the very first era of the personal computer and uh, so that was one part and the other part was i would do uh, I, I would buy things in bulk and try to sell them to my friends and you know i i think uh there's a warren buffett talks about doing that with coca-cola on the beach on the weekend and that the value of these things changed by location i could go buy them on the boardwalk and then walk out on the beach and sell them for 10 times as much and just keep doing that and i made money and i did the same thing and and uh with with pens and pencils and eyeglasses and things like that i would buy them wholesale from these wholesale catalogs and then and then uh sell them to other students at my schools and you know i think as, as warren buffett i think who does a much better job of describing this recognized as he matured in that was that those are the inherent opportunities for creating value with your time and finding the place where you inject your time the most intelligently towards making those uh discrepancies in price are you know are whether you call them arbitrage or just profit margin uh that became the the number one metric of optimization how am i spending my time to to extract those dollars and uh, initially when i was a kid i remember thinking my time is free because as a as a kid kind of your time really actually is probably free but for the rest of your life it you know it really isn't and so i was just like oh my god this is like creating money out of nowhere and then as i as i grew older i started realizing that this there was this fundamental dynamic between extraction of value or creation of value from your activity to the amount of time that you have to put in and as i got closer to like being around 20 or 21 i realized that technology had this just massive boost in that and this is where you know warren buffett's journey and my journey go opposite directions he says that that's kind of incremental and my observation at 1920 during the, the internet boom was that it was fundamental it was it was massive and so I committed myself for the next 25 years of my career to then being a, a tech entrepreneur. And, I, and thank goodness, you know, I loved that. I, I taught myself to program when I was six and that the timing could not have been better. I, I was very fortunate in that regard. What, what was your big first entrepreneurial endeavor where you realized you were kind of on a rocket ship and you had the ability to bring value, enhance your skills and, and truly scale some opportunity in the marketplace? Um, I would say that that's, that's a pretty kind of linear journey versus like, there was this like big moment for me, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Amazon and, and the way that we approach the work that we did there. Well, how did you, how did you get introduced to the opportunity? Where did that all come about? Uh, it's a longer, different story. I, I was, I was running a, a small e-commerce company with a, a coffee company called Dutch Bros. And uh, they were public a little while ago. I yep. bought into the partnership to to run the technology there. Awesome company, great people, and I had found one of those like magical arbitrage opportunities, which was Google keywords. And so I was buying Google keywords for you know, three to five cents a click, converting them, you know, pretty pretty amazingly actually to coffee coffee machines, high margin, high profit products. And because this was right in 2000, 2001, everyone else was just pulling back marketing spend. And I was like, sweet, I found a gold mine. So I was increasing spend, increasing spend. And we built this huge business uh, way under the radar where we were able to, to buy customers, paying customers for between 50 cents and $2.00. And sell them between two hundred and fifty and five hundred dollars of stuff that was, you know, thirty percent gross margins. Just pushing it, right? And just, it, what I just described to you is a for anyone who's paying attention is a freaking printing press, and the thing that comes out the printing press is money. And so I was, I was actually living pretty well. I was fine, and uh, I had to do very little work. I was working, you know, maybe five ten hours a week. And so I was at campus during Amazon's on-campus interviews, and I was like, bored. You know, I had a, I had a BMW M3, I had a cute little girlfriend, and we'd run around and do our thing. And 
it's great. And uh, so I went to the interviews and, uh, and I put my feet up on the table, which again, let's remind people, this is, these are on-campus interviews. Everybody else that showed up had a suit and tie on very stiff, like doing their best to impress people. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm here. Amazon's kind of interesting. I don't really think I want a job from you guys. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Why don't you tell us why? And I was, you know, here's what I found. I do this thing and make a ton of money. And I, I don't really need to work that hard. And the guy across the table from me, was like, wait, 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 rewind. So you buy customers for like a buck and you sell them $200 of goods 50% of the time. I was like, yeah, somewhere between 35 and 60% of the time I make 50 bucks, you know? So on average, you spend a dollar and you make in profit 30 bucks. Yeah, all day. That's what I do. And uh, that interview turned into, you know, the, the world's very first $100 million search engine marketing program. It turned into an entire category of business called SEM. Uh, it, it, so you were it, it, early on in that crazy, right? crazy, right? Like no one had ever done programmatic. We turned that into an algorithm. We taught Google from Amazon. We taught Google how to serve algorithmic customers. And it was really, I mean, even Google hadn't figured this out yet. They didn't know. And you were ultimately the guy scale. that was kind of the lead domino that fell in this space. That's right. You know, and it wasn't, again, to go back to this though, where I was going, I was like, it wasn't this big, like, Right, right. It was just like one foot in front of the other, um, and and it turned into big things. You know, it turned into these these kind of like category defining multi billion dollar markets. But you know, for for someone who was there at the time, it'd be like asking a gold miner, like, "Hey, you know, you went to California, and then you mm-hmm. then you bought a pick, and then you dug a bunch of holes, and then you made money. When did you know that this was going to work?" And you're like. You know, when you did the Tuesday, you did it. And Wednesday, you did it. And you woke up at four in the morning on Thursday. And eventually it worked. And you never really realized when it was going to work. And it just yep. did. And that was that's much more akin to my journey. I don't think that there was any big aha. I, I will caveat that by saying through that entire period, uh, the thing you'll note was there's, there's a pretty big chunk of ego involved in that. I mean, I literally like put my feet up on the table at an interview. How rude, right? Like how unprofessional. How, how, how was your, your psyche at that time? Was it literally like, I'm, I'm, I am young, rich, and ultimately, you know, have a very set of valuable skills. I think of, you know, that, that taken, you know, scene, right? It wasn't skill. I didn't give a shit about, I didn't care about the skills. Like I just didn't care about Amazon at the time. I didn't. They were a, a biggish company, but like I didn't need them. I didn't need mm-hmm. a job. I didn't need to do anything. And so it really had less to do with me thinking so mighty of my skills and just me thinking so mighty of myself, to be honest. And, uh, and so it, you know, the, the, it just, it, it, it was, it was very ego driven is the answer. I mean, just very, 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 very egotistical. And so as, I mean, but obviously there, there is a balance between, I think, cockiness and ego and, and confidence and knowing that you've done something. It was definitely ego. Let me just that. <laughs> you're like, you're like be confident with yourself uh, and not put your damn feet on the table. Ab- you know absolutely. what I mean? hundred percent agree. Right. And so obviously there could be some immaturity, some ego in that, in that process. But obviously that, that is something that was somewhat of a weapon and an edge for you too and and opened up and unlocked certain opportunities. I'm sure as you have stated, and I think most people would know, there's downsides to that being at the forefront and leading in those particular spaces. But also I think it's a catalyst for unlocking some magic too. And that obviously led to some massive opportunities inside of Amazon and doing and pioneering some really big things. So when when did you exit Amazon and what was kind of your thought process for the next part of your journey? Leaving Amazon was one of the, unfortunately, unfortunately or unfortunately, easiest decisions I ever made. Um, I had started working on Redfin almost a year uh, before that. I I'd initially just gotten passionate about real estate, was going to buy some, saw how crazy the world is there, how unprofessional and uneducated a lot of the 
individuals involved in it, especially on the agent side. Yeah. And, and just unsophisticated, really, you know, huge financial transactions occurring with very little to none uh, financial analysis and, and mathematical analysis. And so I became really interested in that. Then I got, I found the other two founders of Redfin. They'd already been working together for a while and they were really, uh, pardon the pun, foundering. They were, they were struggling. They, they had built a couple products. They had a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, a lot of knowledge and just zero capability to build. And was that on and, the, on the back end of kind of the tech stack side of things? Yeah, they were building bringing stuff the tech to the real estate space. <laughs> they were trying to build a Windows app to get real estate agents to use it. And they were getting no distribution, looking yeah. at this internet thing and saying, how do we get that type of scale? How do we get Amazon type scale to these ideas that we have? And after about four months of advising them, I was like, guys, you suck at this. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, let's just be honest. I've tried to help you. I've pointed you in the right direction. And you are you've made no progress in the last four months, despite the advice of one of the smartest people I know, maybe the smartest person I know, in fact, uh, myself. And, uh, you know, and I was like, how about this? How about instead of that, I will build a team and we'll do nights and weekends and see where we end up. And fast forward seven months, we, eight months, we had built the first Redfin website. It was ridiculous. It was so amazingly good. It was so amazingly good. It was it was one of the fastest, if not the fastest consumer launch with no marketing budget, I think, in the history of the internet today. Wow. It launched and we went from zero traffic to 400,000 visitors on the very first day that we launched Redfin. In fact, it was we would have had more, but it was so dramatic. I turned the servers on at like 2 in the morning. I went to bed at... 10 in the morning, we got a call from our internet provider and they're like, we got you guys. We shut you down. You are running a porn site. And we're like, no, no, no. I mean, it kind of is, right? It's like, it's, it's real estate porn. <laughs> but it, they had never seen a curve like that on a server ever, 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 except for porn. And so they were like, you, you flagged our porn detector. We shut you down. That's against our terms of service. You are not allowed to be up and like, please, please just turn it back on. Take a look. It's not porn. It's, it's real estate. And we had gotten this article on all the real estate rags at the time. And they're like, oh my God, look at this, this experience. It, it, there's never been uh, anything like this for real estate. In fact, we built the first interactive maps ever. And so you used to never be able to, you know, click and drag. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first interactive websites in the world period. It was interactive mapping, which is super hard to do and to build out all the tiling and the satellite imagery and everything. And people were blown away. And we put real estate data on there. You could go look up Bill Gates's home value and how much he paid. You go look up your neighbor, you go look up your, you know, your yeah. brother-in-law. And so people just loved it. And, um, and so I was still at Amazon. You know, I, I, went, I got up, I went to work at Amazon. And on the way to work at Amazon, I stopped at a coffee shop and everyone in there had their laptop out. They were looking at Redfin. Wow. And I was like, whoa. All right. This looks like we're going to, this turned into something more than just a nights and weekends project. This is, this is, this one's transformational. And so I put in my notice and, and I went over full time at Redfin. How did you decide to partner? And what did the partnership look like? A lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs are thinking about, right? Creating something in a capacity of one plus one with a partner equals 10, right? We're bringing collective collaboration, skills, resources to the table. That can go good. That can go bad. What were some of the great things that you guys did in terms of how you set up your partnership? And what are some of the things that maybe sometimes people miss that would be good to think about? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, 
how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. There were no great things about the way we set up that partnership. We did that one wrong. Okay. Tell me more. Uh, When you say one plus one equals 10, right? Well, that's not possible. How about this? Let's look at it this way. For every equation where one plus one equals 10, there are five where one plus one equals zero. Mm. And and that's the only way (laughs) that, that, you know, I, I like to think about physics, right? You do conservation of mass. That came from somewhere and that's where it came from. And, and that the structure of partnerships, the structure of uh, corporations, and that, that was a C-Corp, uh, is fundamental to the success. They establish Absolutely. economic sharing. They establish power structures. They establish growth opportunities. And this is not to say, hey, if you and your buddy want to start something, that you should spend eight months thinking about whether you should start a C-Corp or an LLC. Most likely, you and your buddy should start an LLC and you know copy some stuff off the internet. However, there are a couple of things that really matter. And those couple of things have become clearer and clearer to me over, over the last few years. And where they, what they come down to is in a couple of very specific scenarios what happens? Scenario one, you and your partner disagree. Who's in control? Not because I want to have an ultimate power, but like just decide, right? Is that something where if you guys disagree, you're going to take it to court because you're 50-50 owners and you're going you're gonna to duke it out? Are you comfortable with that? Is that one where you own 51% and your buddy owns 49 and you know they're, they're comfortable with that? Is that one where you own 49 and they own 51 and they can fire you? And you just got to make that decision. And as I've gotten more and more sophisticated, and, 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 and I don't know, if wow, as I've become incredibly sophisticated over the last few years, I've come to learn, as I think about this more as a, as a CEO who's seen the good and the bad, I like to think about it from both perspectives. If I were in your shoes, what would you want to hear? Because I see the talent relationship because I, I tend to, you know, I've been the CEO in the last few companies. I see that talent relationship as being two directional. Everything is a supply chain. I am providing you employment. And in return, you're going to provide your dedication, your loyalty, your honesty, and your hard work. In order to garner the, the majority of that hard work that I, I, I want, I have to provide some things to you. I have to provide in my contracts, and then you can do it your way. Uh, transparency. I can provide to you information about where the business is going. I can provide you a great vision. I can provide you protection in an HR environment. I can provide you a good business partner who promises to listen. And that's the way that I, I view this. I don't like the term servant leader. So that a lot of those words that I'm using may come up in servant leadership. I think servant leadership is a weak power position. And whether you are a power-hungry person or somebody who thinks that power doesn't exist, uh, power does exist and it drives these things. And so you should be power aware, not necessarily, again, aspiring to have all power or having some, you know, less power, but be power aware. What are the dynamics that are created by the terms that you're choosing? Are you on the board of directors or not? How does the board of directors vote? In the situations that matter, I want to sell, you don't, what happens? I want to close, you don't, what happens? I die, you don't, what happens? 
and just address those types of things. And I think great attorneys help you identify those situations, yep. ask you those questions and enable you to make those decisions quickly. I've been working with the same attorney for the last 12 years. And Bill, if you're listening, he sucks. Uh, but <laughs> exactly. uh, I've developed a great relationship with the same attorney over the last 12 years because he knows the issues to bring to me and the ones not to. And he knows how to present them to me. And, and he knows to present them. Because if after we make a decision, if he didn't present them, he gets booked. And that's unacceptable to me. And um, so, so again, sorry, that was, a, that was a long kind of soapbox, wasn't it? Um, no, but I think, it, you know, I, I let the soapbox continue, you know, because there, I think, is so much gold and there should be some emphasis put on that thought that really does need to go into a partnership and, and how to build a business and how to structure a business. You want to plan and, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst, make sure that everybody's on the same page. I love that you brought up the servant's leadership thing being that that has, you know, leadership has kind of become this very interesting term that one, everything lives and dies on leadership. In my opinion, governments, relationships, parenting, your health, whatever it is, right? And so to to think about how leadership is transformed these days, I think is very important to bring light to. Well, with... again, I, the, the, I'll finish that by saying the reason I don't like servant leadership is because that establishes an upside down power structure. And that's fundamentally creating a power gap because your employees do not make these decisions. Your employees do not have access to the information that you do. Your employees are not responsible for motivating their peers. Your employees are not responsible for resolving HR issues. And if you create this sense that you're their servant, you create a power vacuum in the most important decisions that affect their day. If instead you say, I am responsible and I own my shit up here, that is my job. And I owe it to you to do a great job in that job. And your job is down here or next to me. And I need to know that you're going to accomplish those things. And it is ultimately my job to hire, fire, or promote you. And it is my job to make sure you're going to accomplish those things. So yes, I am here to make sure you get everything you freaking need to accomplish those things. Because those things that you're responsible for are important to me and they're part of my job. And I, and I say that in all of my one-on-ones with my new employees. And I, and I make sure to comment that I'm not saying servant leadership. I'm not saying it because I'm, I'm some namsy-pamsy here. I'm saying it because what you do, I need. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And so if you're not able to accomplish what you do, you tell me because I am going to go burn down buildings, break down walls, get every gun I have out in my arsenal to make sure you can accomplish your goals because your goals are important to me. Beautifully said right there. So what did the overall journey and how Redfin played out for you look like? And what was probably the greatest lesson that you took away as it led into what is now Deep Sentinel? Yeah, so there's there's probably three takeaways I have. Number one, I don't think that anyone else is going to be as fair and honest and transparent a CEO as I am. And that's why the rest of my career I've spent as a CEO and as an advisor to CEOs. And that whatever bar I set I'm going to think about, I'm going to be more intentional. I'm going to be, do more research and unbiased and fair about things than I can expect of other people. And so I enjoy being a CEO because I like modeling willingness to listen, that willingness to entirely empathize with the situation and then still play the role of the judge. I'm, I'm going to listen to, to both sides of this conflict. I'm going to engage myself fully in what you're saying, even if I'm on one side of the conflict, I want to understand what your perspective is because I am the biggest winner and I win nothing by making you shut up. I win nothing by ignoring your perspective. I win everything by understanding it. And I am the only person that I know that is able and willing to do that at that level. And so I want to be a CEO. That's number one. Number two, uh, that the, as I said, the, the power structures that you establish matter. I did not have an attorney review my agreement at Redfin. And if you Google my name in Redfin, you will eventually find that I had to sue the company because they tried to screw me over my agreement. And, uh, and that sucked. I, I do not like lawsuits. That's the third thing that I learned. Do not like lawsuits on one side or the other. Uh, and they suck. Whether they're, oh, it's just business. It's just money. You know what? It's not because you stay up at night worrying about, like, I'm going to have to stand in front of people and give testimony. And 
even if it's not my money on the line, it's somebody else's. I hate being in a lawsuit. It is emotionally draining. And, you know, we, we just got exposed to this. We're getting exposed to it as a, as a country, uh, kind of due to the way that things are happening in, in our politics. And again, whether you're on one side or the other, you're, we're all experiencing how painful yep. it is to be involved in litigation because we all, the American people, are currently involved in litigation at a level that we've never been involved with. And whether you're on one side or the other, it sucks. And I hate it. And attorneys win and you lose every time. <laughs> it's so true. So as you transitioned out of Redfin, what was the catalyst of getting out of Redfin and kind of that journey to thinking about what was next and what we now are seeing with the amazing and exciting product and space you're playing in with Deep Sentinel? Yeah, so uh, the the partnership agreement ended up being the biggest problem in, in uh, Redfin. We had 15 employees one day. The employees uh, staged a coup. They did not uh, have faith in the person who was CEO and uh, my other co-founder and I tried to calm them and come up with a solution. And we had, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I'll make, I'll make an illusion here. We had what, what I call a come to Jesus meeting where Jesus did not decide to show up. And the next day we had one employee and that was the CEO and nobody else was there. And he fired. Wow. Him Crazy. Yep. And so how do you as, someone that knows your value and worth in an organization and what the opportunity is there. How does that mindset shift play out to continue going forward in what seems like a really challenging and difficult landscape? Yeah, that was tough, right? I mean, that was tough. The first and foremost was the most ironic thing was this guy had no access to any of the servers or anything like that. So while we didn't work there, we all worked there for the next eight months and got the company funded. Uh, you know, he, he did his part, but we, we still were committed to getting the company funded and we all were behind the scenes, keeping everything running. Um, which is kind of funny, actually, if you think about it, like you have this guy that just fired everyone and everybody else is like, we still believe in this so much. We're going to keep it going. And, and we did, you know, we all worked almost full time for like eight months. Like, you know, um, but then, like I said, I wanted to be a CEO after that and, and really kind of take, fill in that hole better than anybody else that I've ever worked. Um, the, the other thing that we didn't talk about much, and I'd, I'd also spent a lot of my time here at nonprofits. I started my first nonprofit at 20, um, really dedicated to my life in terms of what's important in, in our lives. And, you know, we talked about my, my daughter and, and, and things like that. And, and finding that balance also became really important to me. And I realized as I reflected, I have three things that are important about my work. The first one is that my family is first in my work. And that's why I work hard, not just for money, but again, to model that for my kids. My kids know that work is important. My kids are not going to you know languish in their future because their model. And again, this is something I observed at Stanford, tons of kids that ended up there and then just were never successful in their life. And, and I say life, not necessarily the career, their life, because they yeah. never found a way to become important to the people around them. They never found a way to become important to their community. And if that's volunteering, I don't care. That's okay. Volunteer hard to use your language, show up 60 hours a day, have hard conversations, right? If you're going to volunteer and run a nonprofit, do that hard. Do that to the best that you can. And I find that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, for families that don't model hard work to their children, it's much harder for them to develop that on their own. Some yeah. of them do. And, and there's amazing success stories, but it's much harder. Number two for my work is I am an AI junkie. I love AI. I always love AI. AI may not love me because I'm not sure it has emotions, but I love AI. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just... I need to do that. And then number three was I wanted to do something that would bring those two things together because I find that nonprofits to me personally were not rewarding. I resigned from all of my nonprofits about five or six years ago. And that's not to say that they aren't good, but for me in my life, they don't generate the type of emotional return that I wanted. Um, again, I'll use that to kind of segue to where I'm at. Please. Um, so 
we put that together as a family and then I and my search. And out of that came my current company, Deep Sentinel. And Deep Sentinel, just in, in kind of 10 seconds, is a it's an amazing security solution that does one thing that nobody else does. We take cameras that you can install around your home, around your business, and we actually stop crimes with them. We integrate with the AI with them for sure. I, I mentioned it. I'm in love. It may not love me. That's okay. I'm okay having one relationship like that in my life. Uh, so it's got AI on these cameras. But what's powerful about it is as soon as the AI thinks there's something suspicious, it ties with human beings. So you you approach my home. The AI sees you've got a crowbar. There's a live guard watching all the feeds around my home within five seconds. You take that crowbar, you start banging on my door. You're going to hear over 105 decibel speakers all around my house. Get away from the house. You need to leave right now and the police are on their way. And that's, that's deep set on the nutshell. And it works amazingly. Importantly, it does all three of those things. We're really important to our customers. We are the only company that, that exists out there that can stop crimes. Whether you're a small business owner and you've got homeless people vandalizing your store every night, or it's your home and you have threats against you, or you're a police officer or a judge and you have real threats against you. We are the only solution that does this uh, in terms of acting and making the world a better place. I'm able to model hard work for my kids. This is a hard freaking business. Nobody has ever built in like this. It's so hard. It's so hard, Matt. It's the hardest business I've ever started. And it is so complex. Uh, so I remember, and my kids see that. And we, as a family, also get to see how it brings all those things together. And like, and this isn't enough, but it is a truly mission-driven organization. And you know what? I had this great day that kind of brought that together during the pandemic. We had a hard, hard time in the pandemic. And I came down to dinner one day and I looked beaten. And my kids knew it. Like, I said, and uh, that sound effect's not going to go well on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll you can imagine. Don't worry, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter, my younger daughter, Cecilia, looked up at me and said, you know, Daddy, are you okay? And I said, I said, I had a really hard day. And she said, but Daddy, did you save anyone's life today? Whoa. And I was like, wow. Well, yes. Yeah, you know, we did. Well, isn't that what matters, Daddy? And I was like, wow. You're right. That's why I do this. That's why I work so hard is because if you do something that matters, matters to you, matters to your family, matters mm. to your heart, matters to your soul, that's what gets you to the other side of that stuff. And, you know, we've had, like I said, we've had a really tough time in the pandemic. We, we had just launched going three miles an hour into the pandemic and just, you know, crashed into that wall that nobody expected. And it's what got us through the fact that we chose to do something that matters to us, matters to our customers, matters to my family. That's been awesome. And they've been with me, you know, through all that. It's amazing, man. Well, I know a lot of people are going to want to check out, I mean, as a business owner, as a real estate investor, who's got assets, want eyes on the assets, you know, uh, and, and for the personal reasons, uh, as I dug into Deep Scent, I was like, wow, this is cool. So I'm really excited to see what you do with this business, knowing what you've done and everything else you've put your blood, sweat and tears into. And for people that want to know all the resources, all the info, links, all that stuff that we have covered in today's show, just head over to millionairemindcast.com. You can check out Dave's episode. Um, but for those that want to follow what you got going on, brother, where is yeah, the best? Sure. So, so, uh, anyway, if you go to those links, check out our YouTube channel. That's the best, by the way, in terms of my, my opinion, if you're interested in following me, I, I'm a, uh, I comment on business. I comment on my opinion of, of things. Uh, and the best way to do that would be on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. Uh, I, I do post things that are political. We didn't really talk about that too much, but I'll, I'll just tell you as a warning right now, if you go do that. Here's my political stance is that the, the parties are just the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I detest both of them. And I think they underserve Americans and that we, there's so many solutions to all of our problems yep. that the structure of the GOP and the structure of the DNC are such that they take our own money and they convince us that we disagree with each other. And we do. We have disagreements, right? Mm -hmm. like, hands down. We have disagreements. Yep. Like almost all of them can be resolved if we actually just sit down and listen to each other. And they are structured such that their main objective is to make sure that we don't believe that. Mm. And I hate that. I, I, and that's what I... Well, that sounds like podcast invite number two to have you back on. And we dig in on that because 
we talk a lot about that stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that myself and, you know, one of my co-hosts, we try, we try and be as unbiased as possible because like you said, real issues that matter to real people and all different scenarios of context of life and earth and, you know, all the different constructs that are out there. Right. But, um, you know, to, to be able to collectively work on these things together, uh, in a way that, you know, we can logically attack and discuss some of these things without some of the smoke screens we're trying to navigate through in order to solve those things that oftentimes are, you know, more fallacies and facades than they are truths. Um, I mean, it's it's the reason why, you know, I personally didn't vote for Trump and I I wouldn't vote for him again, but I can 100% embrace why people did. Mm -hmm. And not just like intellectually, but like, I'm happy to sit and listen to someone tell me their story. Because yep. again, just like in this, in the role of a CEO, I'm only going to be better by listening to your story. Absolutely. A hundred percent better. And okay. So it, we're I, definitely going to need to get you back on for round two. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. I, I'm one of my best friends and, and he and I, he, he's staunchly on one side. I'm, I'm not as staunch on the other side, but like we have not found an issue that if we sit down and truly listen to each other, talk about. a solution for yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe we'll have to have him on the show too. That'd be kind of yeah, let's fun. do it. We'll, we'll we'll just go at it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Dave, man, I gotta I gotta send some appreciation to you, brother. And one, your journey and your story is inspiring. Um, you know, as a business owner, somebody that I know many of our listeners um are gonna glean some really great wisdom from your experiences, not just on the business side and you know what you've been able to accomplish, but how you've attacked all areas of your life and and those things truly being a priority and truly getting work and truly seeing results. Um, those are the types of leaders that I love to be inspired by and to learn from and to have conversations with. So I just want to thank you, man, for coming on the show today, spending some time with us. We'll be sure to link up everything on uh, your episode. And uh, for those that want to follow you, we'll be sure to link up some Twitter, right? Get involved in the conversation with Sully. And uh, brother, thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you wanna support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.